still on cloud nine, yes. And I'm soaking it all in. It's it's an incredible feeling. And with how long it's taken me, it's made it even sweeter. I always had a joke that I never broke three hours till now because there was many races my husband wasn't there for. Like I traveled out to New York, the New York City Marathon by myself. I went to Minnesota a couple of times by myself. He wasn't able to come. And so I always told him that the reason I haven't broke three hours is because you haven't been there to see me do it. So having him there, having my family there and my parents were able to to fly out. So yeah, made it that much more special. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 63 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm stoked to welcome back episode 63 guest, Michelle Baxter at the runner's plate. Michelle chased down an eight-year dream running a 258.24 at CIM, completing her sub-three quest. So inspired by her perseverance, grit, and commitment to her goals. The fire burns bright in Michelle, and she's continually tweaked her training to get faster and stronger while increasing her mileage to a peak of 100 miles in her CIM buildup. We discuss fueling tweaks, being patient, running her race pace, on-course CIM support versus running in smaller races in Alaska, having her family there, strength training, how that helped her close crazy fast the last five miles, perfect negative split execution, 130.08 first half, 128.16 second half community at CIM, and the super positive support received from her blog, IG supporters. Quote from Michelle, for eight years, I've been trying to run a sub three hour marathon, eight years filled with injuries, pregnancies, postpartum time, and a lot of hard work. Sure. I wondered if it was actually possible, especially after four failed attempts, but I was willing to take the risk because I knew if it did happen, it would be that much sweeter and one of the highlights of my running career. And boy, is it sweet. I'm so inspired by Michelle's breakthrough and excited to see what's next. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Evening, Michelle Baxter. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. How are you? It's so good to have you back on the show. You're one of my, I only have a handful of repeat guests and every one of them did something epic with their running and commitments were made. And that's exactly how you are back on the show. Because when we talked the last time, you know, we talked about your huge goal, which was to crack that sub three barrier and break through. And it's been a long eight year chase and you got it done at CIM. So congrats. I'm so proud of you, man. And it's got to be, you got to be on cloud nine right now, right? I am still on cloud nine, yes, and I'm soaking it all in. It's it, it's an incredible feeling, and with how long it's taken me, it's made it even sweeter to enjoy. So, yes, very much, very happy with how things went on Sunday. Yeah, I think um, the difference for anybody out there that chases a big goal in life, um, it doesn't mean that it isn't awesome to do something the first time you try or if it happens like way quicker than maybe we dream of, but 
for the people out there that have really taken a lot of swings and misses at something and really pursued something for a significant period of time, when they get to that promised land, if you will, there's just, there's just so, it's such a deeper uh, feeling. It, it, it will stay with you longer. It'll, it'll remain with you longer. And, you know, with your page and your blogging and the people you have that are following you, you'll share it because you're really good at that. And it will inspire more people to go after big things that they might think are impossible because, hey, as terrific a runner as you are and as talented as you are winning races and running super fast times, yeah, you got close a lot of times, but you weren't able to do it. And a lot of people out there, believe me, man, we all have haters in life and maybe not really haters, but people who are like, eh, whatever, this girl or this guy thinks they're going to do something. They're never going to do it. Somewhere out there, there's always a few people out there. You must know there's probably some people out there that were thinking, ah, she's probably never going to get this done. And you got a chance to quiet the doubters, anyone out there, even if there's only one or two, it's a small group. And who knows even if there are, maybe you don't even have any. Um, I just know most people in life, we come across some people out there that are questioning what we're doing or whatever. So it's got to feel like just amazing, you know, to get it done. Yeah. Fortunately, at least all the people, all my followers who have ever sent me a message have always been very positive and very encouraging. Yeah. Cause in August I missed a sub three. I ran a 301. Uh, 301.14. So I missed it by 75 seconds, which it's not a lot, but enough to, I just, that was, that was all I had that day. So um, it was, it was pretty heartbreaking that day to be so close. And cause I had talked it up on social media and I was very confident and then to not follow through and not have it happen. It was pretty, it's pretty devastating. Um <clears throat> Fortunately, I have some amazing followers who are all very encouraging and they all, you know, they're like, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're that close. Um, so it's fortunately I have, like I said, very followers who support me and have all been very nice <laughs> to me. So um, maybe, maybe there are some doubters out there, but yes, I would have uh, proved them wrong on Sunday now. That's great. And, you know, even if people aren't vocal about it, sometimes people don't really understand our, you know, the dreams we're chasing or why they matter so much or, you know, why we might go after something with such passion or vigor. Um, because, look, face it, you're not a professional athlete. You know, you're not making like hundreds of thousands of dollars winning races. And our sport's a tough sport to make a living in anyway. I mean, some of the the, the biggest elite runners that we might come across and meet at a race you know, they're not living high on the hog, man. They're not living some rich, wealthy life. Um, they may love their life and they may be incredibly passionate about it like you or I am about our sport and our running, but it isn't the kind of sport where, you know, a professional golfer or certain athletes that are just literally making so much money. Um, so for me, I respect that even more. And, um, you know, the fact that you came that close, 75 seconds, yes, it might seem far away on the outside, but it's really close, man. It, it's not very much at all. Um, sometimes it's even the tangents you're running that day. Um, if you'd have taken one more gel, if you'd gotten some more fluids in at a certain point, you know, maybe, you know, your muscles would have had a little more, you know, zip at the end, a little more of a push at the end. And also sometimes it isn't our fueling or any of that stuff. It's just the ability to work with people. Cause I know where you race, a lot of times you're kind of out there on your own, you know, versus a course like CIM, 
which has just become this amazing place for people to try to go and rock, you know, BQs, Olympic trials qualifiers, super fast times, sub threes for men, you know, trying to go super fast times on their end. That's all going on. And the pacing groups are terrific. And you have so many talented runners like yourself that are out there like chasing their goals and dreams. And that has to be like wildly different from you racing up in Alaska, where maybe you're trying to go for the win, or maybe you're in the top two or three spots, but you're probably running alone most of the time, right? Yeah, I am. For my marathon in August, there was maybe 300 people who ran the marathon. And so most of it was by myself. And even people cheering, that was the other thing. Um, having so many people cheering at CIM and I've done it some of the other major marathons too. So that's just, it's a huge difference in the races up here in Alaska that are, they're in wooded areas where it's even just even hard for get for spectators to get to. And just a lot, not a lot of people come out and especially with COVID now the people have even less people have come out. So yeah, it's, it's hard. And the course I ran in, in August was also pr- fairly hilly. It was about, uh, just shy of a thousand feet of elevation gain. So that made a difference. So there, yeah, there was definitely factors that, that made running just, uh, you know, breaking that sub three barrier to didn't, that didn't happen that day. So I knew things at CM were much more in a line for having other people to run with, having crowds who are cheering and then having a much faster course. Yeah. Th- and those are not small things. Those are big, big things. Um, because at every race, I don't care, you know, whether it's Shalane Flanagan when she won New York that year, you know, Meb when he's won a race or any other elite, even Kipchoge, we're all going to have some moments of doubt out there. We're all going to get a side stitch at some point. We're going to get a, maybe a cramp might just quickly come and pass, or we're just not feeling good. Maybe we're struggling to breathe at the pace we're running at, but those moments can pass. But when you're out there running alone, you know, for the most part, as you are in Alaska and on a way hillier course and not seeing any people, those moments can become much harder to manage. And they're more challenging because at CIM, you have more people, fast women around you that are also shooting for the same kind of time as you. So you can work off each other, even if you're not running right next to each other and you haven't like locked in with a specific pace group, be it the three hour pace group, a 250 pace group, whatever it might be. There's still always people that are there in your line of sight. They might not be right on your shoulder, but there are a few yards up the road. And at CIM, man, your sight lines are amazing. I mean, you know, you make some turns, but you have these long, long stretches where you can just see people like all the way. So there's like always somebody to kind of say, I'm going to like lock on to this person or I'm going to, you know, the girl in the red jog bra, she's next. I'm going to go and hunt her down. Or it may just be, I have to stay in control I got to stay within myself. And clearly you did that because I saw your splits, you know, 130.08, um, first half, 128.16. Man, that's impressive. I mean, a lot of people out there want to run a negative split race. They really do. And that's a big goal for all of us to run a successful race. But most times it's way harder to actually execute a negative split race. And, you know, I think CIM is a little harder at the end, to be honest. I mean, you got a tough, you got a tough hill there on that one bridge. I'm trying to think, is that like 23? I'm trying to remember where that 21. is 21. So I always felt like the end of CIM is kind of tough. I mean, not when you get really deep into the race, when you get like further, further in, then it gets exciting again. There's a lot of people there and you know, once you kind of get up that road, you get to hang that left and you kind of come back around and, you know, you have all the people there. But I mean, that's really impressive to, to run that's almost two full minutes faster in the second half. I mean, that's a big, 
That's a big negative split. Now, was that a plan at all, or is it just the way the race kind of unfolded and it took place? I mean, I've always known that the best, your best marathon performance is either going to come with even splits or with a negative split. Like I made the, I mean, this is my 12th marathon and finally by the 12th time I did it right. I mean, this is the only time I've been able to, been able to negative split. So it was a really, is staying patient at the beginning. And unfortunately the sub three, the three hour pace group went out way too quick. I mean, I, hit the one mile mark at 653, which is one second over what I needed. So I knew I was right on, uh, right on pace. And even my next few miles were still a little quick, were quicker than what I, what we actually needed. And I never caught the pace group until the very end. So they went out pretty quick. And so it was just like, okay, I know what I'm doing is right. Like I'm going to stay right around that 650, maybe like no more than like definitely no more than 645 unless I'm feeling amazing. So yes, very intentional to run, you know, um, even splits or hopefully negative splits. And I knew the course profile. I knew that first half, the first third of the race is hillier. Um, I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. I don't know. Maybe it's because I train on some hill. I mean, Anchorage isn't super hilly, but it's got, we have some hills. Um, I didn't think the course was bad at all. And then um, so I knew that the second half was going to be a lot of downhill. So I knew I could probably make up some time then and have, have that negative split. So yeah, it was, it was very intentional. Um, and I'm just still shocked at how great I, how amazing I felt after that 21, that I think it was like right around 21 miles where that bridge, you climb that bridge and then everything is downhill from there. And I just turned the jets on <laughs> at that point. See, and that's perfect execution. And it's awesome to be able to have a day like that where you you're not hold necessarily holding back, but you're just you're running smart. You're you're hitting very specific objectives, very specific goals, and it's not a course like Boston where it's such extreme downhills and rolling. And then you know Boston has its uphills in the beginning too. People always like pretend like they they're not there. They're there. You don't just run downhill straight downhill. I mean, you roll downhill, then you kind of go back up. You roll down and you come back up. And if you get used to that rhythm, you can run a great time. But if you go too hard and you blast it. And then you turn at the firehouse and you're not ready for the, for those series of Newton Hills and the uphills, you know, your, your race is going to be gone. You won't have enough left to make it through there because Boston is fast at the end. If you run a smart race, like you did at CIM. Um, and again, I think a lot of times people, you know, they ride the momentum, they ride the feel good rhythm. And I love how you pointed out, um, as good as these pacing groups can be, and it's a wonderful sacrifice those runners make if they're pacing a three hour group, a two thirty group, a four hour group, three thirty, whatever they're, you know, that goal group is their job is to get you to that number. Right. But what people don't realize is a lot of times they don't do it the way you would really want it done for you if that's what your goal is. And you nailed it. I mean, if you are really trying to run sub three, you don't want to be running 645s in the first couple of miles of a 26-mile race. That's not the way to get it done. I mean, one mile is okay. But after a mile or two, you got to kind of get it reeling in and just, you know, get it under control. You know, you're in charge of the pacing. That's your job. And, you know, it's okay if you do it for one or two miles. But the fact that you didn't even see them until like a little ways down the road shows you that they were definitely like going too hard. And again, not hating on any pace groups or any pace specific people. It's just, if you really have worked as hard as Michelle has, and believe me, this girl has worked her ass off for eight years. 
You don't want to leave it in somebody else's hands. Nobody knows better than you what pace you need to average, right? You know what you have to do. You know what your goal is that day. You know, they're not going anywhere. The beauty of CIM is you can see them, or at least you probably could see them like at some point, you know, and if you couldn't, then that's even more the reason, like you really made a good call. If you couldn't see them, man, then I'm good for you, man. You made the right call. I kept looking for them and like, I mean, there was a sea of people and I don't know how, how high he was holding the sign, you know, probably lower, but yeah, I kept looking for them. I was like, I don't even see them. So God. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking pretty consistent pacing, but I don't think I'd ever want to be a pacer for a, for a big race like that. That feels like a lot of pressure. So I, I mean, I can only empathize with how hard their job is. Oh, to- it's it's totally a hard job. Um, it's a rewarding job, man, because if you get people to hit the, a number like that or maybe make an Olympic trials qualifying standard or sub three, like in your case, I mean, it's incredible, man. Like people are hugging you and hugging each other and the the vibes and the feel good is amazing. And But it's also a lot of responsibility. I agree with you 100%. I would feel pressure. I would feel like, oh my God, I got to get Michelle in this group to sub three. Like I can't let this thing down. So in a way I could almost understand you know, pushing the group a little too fast, you know, to try to get a cushion. But as we all know in the marathon, that's really not the place you want to do it. You really want to run as even as you possibly can. And whatever reserves you have left, that's the time. And believe me, we'll we'll get fully into like the back end of your race because it's really impressive how you closed it out. And when you run a race properly like that, you know, that's the message you want to send out there to your friends about how to execute a race because people think, oh, that's, you can't do that. It's not possible. Yeah, you can. If you fueled right and you trained right and the day presents itself to you and you don't blow it early by wasting a lot of extra energy, like, and you get to that point where you're like, oh my God, this could happen for me. Like then all of a sudden you do have more. And then, you know, like it actually, actually comes together. So I mean, interesting that you never saw them or at least, at least not early and you maintained your control, which is really a veteran move on your part. So good, good for you. Now, did you, how was your watch like matching up with the course? Because I forever try to tell people like, don't be sucked into the GPS game because Siam is one of the better races around. It's not Chicago. It's not New York where you're starting on the Verrazano bridge. It's not Tokyo where you're amidst the sea of gigantic buildings where good luck trying to get your watch to cooperate or have some idea where you are. CIM is pretty good. Were you, was it good for you like that? It was like where you needed it to be. Like you felt like, okay, it's, it's beeping where I am at the miles. This is good. Cause for me, I always feel better when that's happening versus if it's way behind or way ahead, that, that can mess with your head a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, the further into the race I got, the sooner my watch would beep to indicate. So I was wasn't running the tangents as well as I should have. And I re- I mean, really try It's something I consciously am thinking about while I'm racing the whole time. But I think just with more, pe- with so many people and I don't know, I ran an extra quarter of a mile. So I, yeah, my watch was beeping before the mile markers and it kind of got further and further from each of the mile markers as I went. But I also knew, like, I, you know, I know a 652 pace is what I need if I run 26.2 miles, but I also, in my mind, I've always thought of it as 650 just because I know it's it's so hard to run exactly 26.2. So I knew, I mean, I was watching my watch and even, I mean, none of the, I was always right around that 645, 647, 648. 
there was only really, I think I only had a few miles at 650 and a few miles above. So I knew I had, I was going to be okay. Or I was pretty sure I was going to be okay, even though I was, I was going to have to run extra basically. Yeah. It's always, I mean, that's a, such a minute amount of cushion and it's really smart on your part because when people start thinking about banking time in the marathon, as soon as I hear people with a strategy like that, I'm like, no, 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 this is not going to work. It's not going to work. I don't care if you run 140 miles a week. I don't care if you run like thousands of feet elevation and all your hard workouts. Like it just, it doesn't work. Um, it, it might work for like give Joe or somebody, but the rest of the world, the rest of us mortals, it's not going to work. You know, at some point, it's going to start to reverse and it's going to go the wrong way. And then when we need it most, when the watch starts to tell us the wrong feedback, okay, when we need to stay strong, if it's if those 650s start become 703s, to see a seven on your watch at that point is bas- basically could shake anyone's confidence. Probably David Goggins would even be shaken. So like what you need most is to see the six number and then something else, right? A five, a four, anything. I don't even care what it says. Like when you're seeing that, it's great. But all of a sudden, if you start seeing seven fourteens creep in, it's like, oh God, the doubt starts to come in. And even if a mile is marked wrong or your watch just peters out for a section and it's, you know, not connecting to the satellite, it can be enough to just mess with your psyche. So, um, you know, I think it's great that you were like so within this super narrow range and not, you know, trying to go like, let me get some 630s in here on the downhill miles and like build in some time. Cause a lot of people do that. You must know people that have done that, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anyone. I'm sure there is. Yeah. When people try to bank time, I mean, I've done it. I've tried to do it before and it, it failed. So, but going back to the seven minute pace I had, uh, in my August marathon, I had, there was a long climb in the marathon and I had a mile over seven minute pace and it was, it was early in the race too. And I'm like, Oh, this is, I, I think it was like, I want to say like seven ten, And so it was like, Oh gosh, 20 seconds. Okay. I'm like, Hey, stay calm. But it definitely, it definitely plays with you. It definitely makes you question if you're going to be able to do it. So just like stay calm, try to, you know, just adding a couple of seconds, per mile, a little bit faster to make up for that. But it's hard when, when your pace doesn't match what you want. Yeah. And you know, if we think about it, it's 26 times that watch is going to go right. Or I know friends of mine who don't do miles, you know, they'll do 5k. I mean, everybody has different approaches to how they might manage. And I know people who set it up for five miles, they want to run like five mile blocks and they want to have like, you know, they want to manage the race differently, like the first 20 and then the last 10 K. So, I mean, there's just so many approaches and I know other good running coaches will just tell people, turn your watch over, like turn it over on the other side. You know, you, you know what you need to do, you know, work off this group. And then at some point you're just going to go. Um, so I guess it just depends on our experience and how good we are at knowing, you know, our pace and our feel. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's such a, such a cool experience for you. And you know, at this point, like into the race, you know, I know early in the race, you had to make a pit stop, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, for anybody out there, man, 
I have only had to go to the bathroom, I think like three times in my 60 marathons, but like we can try to convince our brains that we don't have to go. Let me tell you something, <laughs> that never works. You will eventually have to go. So lesson, let me tell you, give you a little lesson from the 60 year old dude. If you really have to go and it's that early in the race, you're a whole lot better off to just go and get it done early. So um, it was, was, it was pretty early in the race, right, Michelle? Or Yeah, it was like mile four or five. Yeah. Okay. And, and I had to go like, from the moment I started running <laughs> and I was worried that was going to happen. Cause I usually, I get spoiled here in our, in our very small races here in Anchorage that I can literally go to the porta potty five, 10 minutes from the start. And so I had gone like 45 minutes out from the start and I didn't have a chance to go again. So that was, yeah, it it was worth it, but kind of a bummer. I mean, I would, I think I would have saved at, at least probably about 30 seconds. So but yeah, worth it. <laughs> worth it. But see, I'm important to share, um, you know, cause look, we all go to the bathroom. This is not like some, everyone goes to the bathroom multiple times before the race. And sadly, some of us have to actually go more than once in a marathon, depending on whatever, if our stomach isn't good that day, something we're using for fuel, eating, drinking can, can affect us. And certainly how long somebody's out there for some people are out there for six hours, five hours, seven hours, they might have to go a few times. So, but the moral of the story is Michelle went to the bathroom and she still ran her sub three marathon <laughs> and she didn't just make it by 259. It was 258.24. So yeah, she would have definitely run at least another, she would have been in the 257s for sure. Maybe even faster. Who knows? You don't know for sure. But I mean, every race that we will ever run in our lives, that's that long. There's always somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute that's there. I don't care how great the race goes. There's just always somewhere out there, there's 30 seconds to a minute. Um, whether it's cutting across the road to get a bottle from friends or, you know, whatever it might be. Like something happens to us out there where we just drift or we lose our concentration or we're struggling for some patch. So I think the fact that you did go and you went early in the race, if you didn't go, it would it could have caused you like way more problems down the road. I mean, it might have upset your stomach more. You might not have been able to hold the pace as comfortably as you did. So um, that was that could not have been an easy decision that early in the race. Believe me, nothing's easy when we're when we have something on the line. Yeah, I definitely went back and forth for at least a few miles, just trying to decide if it was worth it. And I just then I saw I looked up, I saw the porta party, and I didn't even like consciously think. I, my body just like this. This is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> made a beeline for the porta potty wind as quick, quick as I could. My bladder was quite full, so it was a good decision. <laughs> so, I love it. And then ran out of the porta potty again, like still like adjusting my <laughs> my buttons on the way on to get back on. <laughs> I love it. So, so the brain took over. You didn't have anything. You had no say in the matter. It just took you off course. Autopilot decision. And then, you know, you're trying to get your gear back in order as you're running back on the course. Yep. I love it, man. <laughs> well, thankfully, that all worked out. And then from there, I've, as, as I read through your blog post a little, I, I know that you made a decision because you wanted to try to get some of that time back, but you did a very logical approach. It wasn't like you were like, hey, man, I'm going to drop the hammer because I just lost however much you lost. And who knows, whatever, if it was 30 seconds, 35 seconds, it is not a lot over 26 miles. But still, I can't tell you how many runners have come on my show. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. There's this fear. It's a, a combination of fear. It's adrenaline. It's whatever. It's like everything I worked for, I got to get it back. The next thing you know, they drop a 620 mile in. And sure, that's not a big deal when you're capable 
of averaging in the 640s for 26 miles. But you know what? You're using energy. You're burning more glycogen. It's way earlier in the race. It's not a good strategy. But I can't even begin to tell you what percentage of people do just that, including me. I've done it countless times if that situation presented itself. So um, what was your, did you think about that when you got back out there? Were you thinking like, okay, I gotta, I'm going to pick it up a little bit here. Like what were your thoughts, you know, coming out of the port of John there as you, as you got back out on the course? Yeah, I think my watch beeped shortly after that. Um, and I had a 720 mile. So I knew I had about 30 seconds that I took. And so I was like, okay, I mean, I know like, I've coached enough people. I've run enough marathons myself. I know it's not wise to drop down to a 630 pace. So I'm like, even just a couple seconds, a little faster per mile is going to eat. And then within 15 miles, if I do two seconds per mile faster within 15 miles, I'll have made up the, the, diff, the difference. So I just tried to keep it more on that around that 645 pace rather than the 650 or 649, 648. So just, just a few seconds per mile faster and I knew that was, yeah, I knew that was the approach I had was going to have to take. And that was the most, the, the smartest decision to make. So, yep, just a little bit at a time. I knew eventually I would make up for that, that stop. Excellent. Well, really good planning on your part um, to not, uh, you know, not try to make it back too quickly and not try to push, uh, you know, push it to the edge. Um, and uh that's when we can get out over our skis and maybe, uh, you know, try to grab it back too quickly. And then it may not hurt you at that point, of course, but you know, maybe that's where, when you get over that bridge, you know, later in the race, you don't have the juice that you had when you were able to drop the hammer on those last few miles and really finish strong with power and force and feel like I'm a total badass. Not only did I get this done, you weren't diving across the line, like, you know, on fumes. I mean, those were like your fastest miles. So, um, at this point, you know, you're back in rhythm, you know, you still haven't, you still have not caught sight of the sub three group, right? No, no, I didn't see them until mile 24 and a half and then past them at mile 25. Yeah. I kept looking for them because I, and there would be people around me. I'd hear people say, you know, have, did you see the sub three group? Where are they? They went out really fast. And so I was like, okay, I know that I'm not the only one thinking these things. Cause I was hearing, conversations from other people who had the very same thoughts I was. So yeah, very, <laughs> which was also reassuring that I was going about it the right way. Interesting. Good. So, you know, and you know what your numbers are. I mean, to be 75 seconds away once before, you know what your numbers are. I mean, you probably know what they are at every single major mile milestone, 10, 15, 20, you know, what number the clock should be saying, and, you know, so, you know, you have an idea and you've come within 75 seconds. So you've been that close before, you know, at this point, anything that's within that range is close enough where you're going to feel like, Hey, I can get this done today because I'm feeling, I'm feeling strong anyway. But it is interesting that, that you never saw them until that late in the race. That is really, <laughs> I mean, they must've really, really went out like way harder then because to not see them, they must've been running like 643, 644, 645, like the whole way, not in the beginning because, and then they must've eased off as they got late, as they got late into the race. And again, that's great. If you were the sub three pacer and you know, you have a 230 marathon PR 235, but that isn't necessarily great for the people that are trying to run a sub three for their first time, because now they've definitely, they're going out at a faster pace then they're really going to try to average. And, you know, that is, you know, not, again, not the way I would advise somebody 
to like get it done. If they were able to hold on and do it, God bless it, man. I mean, if it worked out, that's totally awesome. And again, no hate on Pacers, man. Love Pacers. Some of my best friends pace running groups in New York City, at Boston, and other places. And I know it's a tough job. Maybe not as tough at CIM as other races because Boston, you know, again, you're riding a lot of downhills early and it can be very easy to get way ahead of yourself and be as many as four or five minutes faster in the first half of that race easily, even if you're pretty good at your pacing. Whereas at New York, not really the case at all. Um, you know, the Verrazano is the hardest mile you face in the whole race. And, you know, the bridges later, all the bridges are where the difficulty in New York is. Um, for me, I run in Central Park every day, so I'm used to all the hills in the park. Um, anybody else might be like, oh, my God, I don't like the park. But we're like, we run here every day. We're used to every incline and every decline. Um, the trouble with New York is all those bridges, you know, kind of take their toll on you. So so you, you're rolling along, but you're not with this group. Did you team up with anybody else out there? Did you share any miles at any point with anybody you knew or had rolled in? And, you know, because we talked a little bit before we come out about how strong the community is and how we all kind of are pulling for each other and rooting for each other. And we follow each other on Instagram and root for each other. Did you come across any other ladies that you knew that were shooting for sub three out there that day at this point or not yet? Still at this point, you're, you're doing your own thing. You're running solo. Um, going into the race, I had hoped to run with some other women who were trying to break three hours. I had connected with them on social media. It's, um, lift, run, perform. They had a group of eight women and I had met them the day before connected with them, hoped to run with them, but saw them at the start and that was it. So they also went out quick, but there was a few women who had the fitness to go out. I mean, there's a few women who are in like low two fifties. Um, so rightly so that they went out faster than my pace. Um, every once in a while I would, um, there's a couple, there was one person in particular who came up on me and said, she knew me from social media, from Instagram and said she was trying to break three hours too. And then, um, I, I mean, I knew from the chatter around me that, those, and I figured so that those people were also trying to run right around three hours. So not really too much like time spent with people running, uh, you know, a few miles, um, just here and there, little spurts of passer buyers, (laughs) um, who, and some people would say, Hey, I know you're from Instagram. You're the Alaska girl, right? So things like that. (laughs) Um, there was only one woman who she was, um, she was a pacer, uh, for, she was leading a blind man, um, a guide. There we go. She was guiding another runner and they were trying to run right around three hours. And I had met her at a half marathon here in Anchorage this past summer. So I said, Hey to her, we um, chatted for a little bit and ran maybe a mile with her. So, and then I took off, but, um, so it was, yeah, I was hoping to have some people to run with because I knew I had heard so many great things about CAM and how just uplifting the community is and the runners and how you can really feed off on the, of the other people running and racing. But unfortunately it didn't really work out that way. Um, as, as intentional as I thought it would be like, I, you know, of course still had people to run with the whole time, but not as uh, quite in the way I thought it would be, which I mean, it's nice to have, people, but then it's also nice. I mean, I just, I guess I do so much, so much solo that I'm used to running alone. And then, you know, I can make the bathroom stop if I need to, I can speed up at the end if I'm feeling good. So 
it didn't really bother me too much to not have some like a group to run with intentionally the whole way. So, I mean, as we, we all, we all know it had, there's pros and cons to situations like that. Well, I think in many sense, in every sense, really, you're really cut out. You, you've been basically training to run your own anyway. And all these races, you're basically on your own competing to win these races or in the top two or three, much smaller fields, a couple of hundred people. You do almost all your training alone, right? I mean, I know you when the weather's really, really harsh, I know you have to do a lot of your hard workouts on the treadmill when you're not running outside in the really harsh um, Anchorage weather. So, um, you know, you're, you're prepared for that. You know, so although it would have been super cool if you got into some mad pack and all rocked it together and, you know, you're having some conversation and, you know, you just because what it does is it, it shortens the race um, just from experience for the few times I've had that happen. It hasn't happened to me many times in my 60 races, but I have had a few times where I just got into a pack of amazing runners or a really small group of people who you just click with, man, and they're going to grab a Gatorade for you. Or you're going to grab one for them or somebody doesn't have a gel and you share a gel and just, you know, to get over you know, heartbreak or the tougher parts of Boston together and then, you know, still like have something more. It's great. But at the same time, we're all out there on our own journey. If you think about it, I mean, we really are, we're all rooting for each other. We're all pulling for each other. Um, but at some point it's your race, you know, I mean, and that group and them who all train together, they're from all over the place, right? I mean, they're, they're coached, you know, like as part of a group, if you will, but you know, on that particular day, they might've come and run together. They probably had never even met before. You know, they probably had never seen each other before. And then here they are rolling into CIM and, you know, that's the beauty of our sport. You know, it's like we come together and we're like best friends, even though we've never actually met before. And, you know, we're all like rooting and pulling for each other, um, the way you would for a family member. Cause that's really what it's like. Yeah. It's crazy how connected you can get through social media. And I mean, that's the great thing about social media is that there's a meme I've seen. It's, you know, your best friends are your internet friends or something like that. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's so mind blowing how close I felt to these women, even though I met them the day before and barely had it, you know, barely even talked to them, but that hug they gave me at the finish line was so incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's so well said. We're, we're going to come back to the community piece. Cause I want to keep keep going further as we progress through your race. But the community piece is definitely, we're going to, we'll spend some more time in that at the end. So, um, you're, you're rolling up, you've gone to the bathroom, you get back in, you drop some seconds per mile because you realize you need to, but you're very controlled with that point. I remember reading, you went through the half in like one thirty oh eight, So, which is remarkably precise because, you know, you lost give or let's call it 30 seconds in the bathroom. So realistically you were under one thirty you know, by at least, you know, 20 to 30 seconds in my mind. So you were running like a perfectly calculated race at this point. And effort wise, how was it feeling for you? Um, I'm sure when you saw that number that had to make you feel good, but what was it feeling like? Does it feel like, Hey, I feel like I'm feeling really strong right now. Like, what are you feeling like physically and mentally at this point as you roll through the half? I was still feeling pretty good. And there's definitely been some marathons where I get to the halfway mark and I'm already in too much pain. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, you know, at mile eight, I remember telling myself be like, Oh, I'm kind of hurting a little bit here and it's only mile eight. But then I was like thinking, no, I can hurt a lot more. So I'm okay. still. so <laughs> just like push that aside and then get the halfway mark. And yeah, still feeling relatively good. And 
Um, then as, yeah, as the race went on, I, yeah, I never felt terrible, which is not, has never, not usually the case for me in a marathon. Usually I get to a point and I get to the point where you swear off marathons, mile 22, and you're like, I'm never doing this again. And I would say the last two marathons I ran, I had never, it did not have that thought during the race. And that's, that's a big improvement (laughs) for my 10 marathons prior. So yeah, felt good. felt strong. And I knew I could still keep pushing. Like I knew, I knew, know how much I can hurt and push myself to hurt. So I knew I could, I still had some left, a lot of gas left in the tank. Gas in the tank is a good thing. Um, do you follow Courtney DeWalter, the great ultra runner? No. Put her, put, put her down for a follow. Um, I do ultras also, but, um, she's running times, you know, in some of the hardest ultras around hundred milers, 200 milers, the most difficult of courses, she's running times that are inside the top 10 of the strongest men in ultra in the most difficult mountain races in the Alps on the most extreme, uh, most difficult courses, like well inside the top 10 of the men winning the women's race, sometimes by 30, 40 minutes, which really doesn't happen in ultra. And she was on Ritual's podcast and, um, she talked about um, how her husband would always ask her on her, on his crew. On, she's on, he's on her crew because with Ultra you have to have a crew. There's people out there all over the place, not only for your food and fuel, but sock changes, shoe changes, and whatever else you know the Sherpas in your group need to provide for you. And her husband would frequently ask her like, "How are you feeling? How are you feeling?" And it just cracked me up because she just like went off on how she hated her husband asking her that because it would like trigger all these other thoughts about like either how much pain she was in or whatever. And it like made her like re reframe everything about pain and the pain cave and suffering and the most difficult parts of a race. And, but she had a separate discussion with him and just said, look, I don't ever want you to ask me that ever again in a race. Just don't ask me that. And it's a pet peeve of mine. Like people text me all the time. Hey man, how do you feel after your race? I'm just like, what, what is that question? Like, how do I feel? Like, I, you know, like, you know, like how about just congrats or man, tell me about your race or like, I just, I don't I really don't understand it. So when she went off on it, I just loved her even more. But what she talked about is it changed her relationship with pain and suffering, as opposed to thinking about putting it off, not wanting it to come. You know, I don't want to deal with this to just saying, no, I know it's going to come and I'm going to welcome it because I can take pain and I can handle pain so much more than other people. I'm built for this. Like, this is what I'm made for. So when it comes, I'm going to welcome it and accept it. I'm not going to like try to pretend like it isn't here. I'm going to be like, okay, old friend, what do you have for me? So if you find that podcast very easily on ritual, that whole discussion about the pain cave and welcoming it, and that it's not going to last, obviously that you're going to be able to get through, you know, those particular spots. So, um, just an interesting, interesting digression there, because, you know, I think it's how we think about those moments out there. If we're prepared, you know, that, you know, Des always talks about, you know, keep showing up, you know, like whatever your mantra is for mine, it's stay in the fight. You know, my sign is right there behind me, like, and Goggins uses it too, because like in my mind, it's like when you see a boxer, man, they're on the ropes. It's like, no way this guy could ever win this fight. How many times does somebody like come back in a boxing match that you would never think they're going to win, but you know, their head clears, they, they play defense for a little while, they get off the ropes 
but they come back late in the fight when you would never expect it and they would actually win it because they they were strong. They stayed in there through the hardest time, the toughest storm, like a Boston 2018, and they kept, they stayed on their feet. Like they stayed in there. So for you, do you think about anything specifically like mantra wise when you're struggling, when you're having, when you're in a tough patch, if you're having trouble breathing, you got a side stitch, cramps, whatever, just a difficult patch. Do you have any mantras you use yourself? Not too many mantras. Um, and I, gosh, I trying to think, I guess I just, yeah, fortunately never got to a bad place in this marathon where I had to recall, like had to really boost myself up. But in other marathons, I've, I've recalled on like hard workouts I've done in the, in the heat or in the extreme cold and how tough they were, but I was able to persevere and push through and still be successful at those. So I can now during this hard time, I can now be successful as well and push through that pain. Um, I mean, childbirth, (laughs) having had two, two children, you, that is another level of pain that, um, that won't even compare to marathon running. (laughs) So just knowing, um, you know, what your body can do and how much, how much pain there is, it makes the running a marathon not so bad. (laughs) Um, yeah, not, so not too many mantras, but I, I guess I did. Um, I had a conversation with my coach before my August marathon and she said, like one of the things she said, just keep running like one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. So little things like that. But um, yeah, mostly it's like past experiences that I'll recall on and kind of boost myself up and say, you know, you've done hard things in the past. You can do hard things now type of thing. That's great. Um, however you, whether that's a visual image, like you said, of a hard workout, you know, outside on the treadmill, a weightlifting session, a strength session, whatever it is, if you can tap into that and that can help you, you know, bridge that gap of that spot, it's great. If you find a mantra that resonates with you, because you can't use somebody else's, you know, stay in the fight's probably not going to work for a lot of people or I'm strong or I'm a badass or I'm tough. Like, you know, like that's not going to work for a lot of people. It's got to mean something to you. It has to resonate with you. Um, cause Dina Castor's book is great and she just, uh, it's a lot of positive affirmations and reaffirmations and how our brain works is when we say, I won't quit, you know, our brain just hears quit. It's like, you know, it, you know, it's like, it's, as opposed to I am strong, well, there's nothing negative in there, but the word quit is negative. So it's like our brain will hear like, don't stop. It'll hear stop. Like, you know, I won't stop. It'll hear stop. Like, so it's amazing. And, you know, she had all this research behind it that she dug into to support, you know, these affirmations and why it's important for us mentally when we get to these spots to have something, you know, to hold on to. So it's, I, I'm so terrible. I just need to put my running books close to my shelf over here where I do the show from. This way I could just pull it out and go, hey, it's Dina's book. You know, I recommend this one, but I could put it in. No, that's I actually read her book before this marathon. I read it in the past, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And then I started rereading it before this marathon because it's one of my favorite running books and one I highly recommend again and again. Love it. I love it. So I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. And again, mantras are not. As long as you have something that you can lean on, 
when it's a tough spot. Um, and and for every mom out there that's ever delivered a baby, yeah, you're tougher than any of us. Trust me, you, you the females in, in life are way tougher than the men. And everybody who listens to this show knows how much I respect my mom and how she's my role model and idol at 89 and a half years old and has, you know, been through 30 plus years of lymphoma and multiple cancers. And, you know, so yeah, women are stronger, tougher, smarter, and just better. Um, so we, we, uh, we have nothing but respect there. Um, so getting back into, you know, back onto the race course, um, you're feeling really good. You're halfway through, you know, what's the back half of the race like? Um, you know, cause at this point you're kind of, you're just doing your own thing. Have you seen your family out there in the course? Have you seen any friends out there? Um, did you have a plan to get any bottles out there? Like any, any stuff like that? Like t- tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So honestly, between 13 to 20, I don't really remember, remember too much. Like overall the race went by way faster than a lot of my other marathons. Like I said, just because of that community aspect and listening to people. So there was several miles that went by. I was like, wow, okay. That's what mile we're at. I thought we were only at, I thought we were two miles before that. So it went by really fast. Um, I did, um, my dad did give me a, a bottle, a water bottle with some, um, scratch in it at mile like 15. And so I saw them there and I got that bottle and I taped a, another energy gel to the outside of it. So I had that to a, a fifth gel cause I carried, I stuffed three in my top and then one in my arm sleeve. And then I had the fifth one taped to the bottle. So um, I was glad I did that. I also knew that there was going to be energy gels on the course if I needed another one or if I dropped one. So that was, it was just reassuring to, to know that I had those backups, but um, yeah, I saw my family, my husband wasn't able to see me on the course. We stayed at a hotel that was right at the very end. And then he was watching the boys. I have two sons, they're two and seven. So he was in charge of taking care of them this that morning. And so he didn't want to try to navigate the course with the road closures. Actually, we hadn't even rented a car. We just, we stayed downtown and then walked where we needed to. So he was, he didn't see me until the end. Um, and then, like I said, I just, I saw a couple other people, really just one other person that I knew. And then a couple of people would say hello. So um, other than that, not too many people that I recognized. Uh, I actually had a friend who had, she happened to be in Sacramento. She's from Anchor Chair. She was in Sacramento visiting her family. And she, I saw her a few times cheering for me. So that was nice. And then, um, yeah, that's as far as the people that I saw. And then mile 20, a friend had given me advice that, at mile 21, there was a bridge. And then after the bridge, it's all downhill. So just to turn turn it on at that point in time. And I got up over that bridge. I didn't think it was too bad. And then I, I knew, you know, at that point, it's like five miles. I'm like, okay, I can, I'm still feeling really good. I think at mile 20, if I had to pick a, a time when I thought that sub three was going to happen, it was a mile 20. And I just remember thinking, I feel better here at mile 20 than I did at my marathon in August. So I'm pretty sure I can do this because at mile 20 in my marathon in August, I was, I was still hanging on, but it was starting to hurt pretty bad. And I was like, Oh, I still have six miles to go. But for the, for CIM, I felt much better and then really just turned, turned it on, on those last four or five miles. 
That's great. Um, and you know, we need, we need affirmations to come. Um, and there's nothing more reaffirming than looking down at your watch. Cause I'm just like scrolling through your blog post at this point, And I see your 20th mile was 646, your 21st was 646. And the 21st mile is the bridge mile, right? That's the one that has the uphill. So, you know, you, you were really strong in those two miles and now you have five to go. And, you know, just having, you know, read this before we came on, I know your last five miles were like crazy fast. So you made it through that section and, you know, in your mind, you were feeling like this, this is going to be the day, but you still have five more miles to go. You still have 5.2 more miles to go, but man, you really ripped it in the end. Um, so I want to just ask you a little about your fueling because it's interesting. Um, I use Morton gels, but I also love GU Roctane gel. So, you know, having read your blog, I know you were using you were going back and forth, you use different things. And then you also said you use scratch in the bottle. So using a bunch of different things, God bless, man. I don't care what system anybody uses. If it works, God bless, man. Like personally, like Morton gels are very easy to, to get down for me. And I have celiac, so I have, you know, some stomach issues that I have to worry about, like what's in things and they can be upsetting to me. But you can take them, the, the big advantage of a Morton gel is you can take it without water. You don't necessarily have to have water. It doesn't mean you can take it with water, but you don't have to. The way a, a goo roctane gel, if it's like, I'm trying to think, the one that I really like the most is the chocolate one. Is it chocolate coconut? There's one I like because it has like a lot of salt in it too, but also has caffeine. But I, you, I think you use the cherry lime one. I like that one. Um, I like the roctane ones because they have, you know, a little more like nutritional stuff that tend to stay with you more. So I think it's so cool that you use a couple of different things because sometimes with Morton, it's just so plain. It's like jelly, like jelly, but not, I don't know. That's the best description for me is jelly because it, it feels like jelly. Like if you just took a spoon out and took some jelly and some days it's just perfect. It doesn't bother me one bit. I love it. I don't need water. I can have it with water. And other days I'll have it. And all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I think I feel like my stomach's a little funny. So I love the fact that you used a couple of different things and I've just for the hell of it, I'm going to try it on one of my next long runs because I do love the, the goo roctane gels. They're, they really are my favorite. Um, and the flavors are all over the place. Like I said, the cherry lime one is cool. There's an orange vanilla. Um, they make, I think they make about six or 10 different the goo roctane ones, but, um, so you intentionally were going to use a few different kinds and had you done that in your other marathons or this was like something you hadn't done before? Because again, this is a breakthrough for you. So I want to make sure if it was something different, you know, that we cut, co we cover that. Um, I've always used a variety. I think, gosh, I don't know for sure. I feel like I've always used a variety. I definitely used a variety in my August marathon and then this one. And I just get tired of the same flavor of something. So that's why I picked different flavors, different brands. Fortunately, I never had any issues with stomach with GI distress on any of the gels. Um, so I can do a, a variety of brands. But yeah, just mostly just changing it up. And I do like do like the Guroctane. Uh, I feel like more of a burst of energy. And then I've heard, you know, good things about the Morton. I, um, I can't say it's like phenomenal, like it works phenomenally for me, but, um, and then actually the other one, um, the, you can, the, you can just came out with some gels and I like their products. So I've been using those too. Um, and yeah, I usually would take a, a gel and then chase it with some water at the next aid station. And that's, kind of what I've always done, but I've never done five gels. I used to almost just do three. And then this 
my marathon in August, I did four. And then this time I did five, kind of, kind of by accident, but also intentionally um, just started fueling earlier in the race to try to get more calories in earlier in the race when your stomach is, is still feeling pretty normal. Um, Cause I read somebody other somebody else who did that. So I tried to do that as well. I, I think I took my first gel at four, mile four or five, which is much earlier than I would normally do it. And then every about five miles after that. So I just tried to every, kind of every time I felt like I could stomach something and I would, I would take a gel and I, I will definitely be doing that again because it seemed to really work. And that's just the more I follow people on social media and learn about fueling during running, it's, you need way more than you think you do for calories and hydration. So I've just, I guess I just keep upping the number of gels I take and it seems to be working. So I'll keep doing it. That's great. And that's how we learn. Um, you know, it, it, and again, we have to watch, um, cause you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily mean it works for Ron or Michelle or, or somebody else who's reading your page or my page or somewhere else. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, very involved with inside tracker and, you know, they're, they're, um, doing, you know, deep dive blood work and checking your biomarkers. And they were involved with Shalane's, um, you know, project, you know, doing all six and, um, in like 42 days and how crazy that was and how fast she was running them. So she knew where all of her levels were and her biomarkers were at every step in the process. And, you know, obviously she has her cookbooks and she knows an awful lot about nutrition anyway, and also fueling for herself, like throughout races. But, um, this is how we learn. We have to experiment. We have to try. Um, and you can try in a race. I mean, people are always like, oh, don't do anything new in a race. You know what? Sometimes you have to try something new in a race. Sometimes that's actually okay. I'm not saying, hey, put on a pair of sneakers you've never run in your entire life and lace them up for the very first time and you've never even worn them. Like that's maybe not a good idea, but you know, using a few different kinds of gels, um, trying a different drink, um, as long as you don't think there's anything unusual in it, you know, that you might have to worry about or avoid, I think you'll be okay. But I think the, the biggest point that you hit on is you're more or less front loading and getting ahead of the calories that you're going to need. And I think that's something that I have done a terrible job at. Um, I just ran the JFK 50 miler after running London, Boston, and New York. And you know, you're on the technical part of a single track trail where it's rocks and leaves and you can't see under the leaves, Michelle. So there can be a log under there. There can be a sharp rock and it's single track. And like the thought of like reaching into your, your, and I had a vest on that day, but reaching in to pull a gel out and like rip it open. And like, if I take my eyes off that trail, like I don't want to go down and take a hard fall. And I did take a really hard fall the year before. And a bunch of runners got taken off this year. Um, you know, had to be stretchered out. Cause if you fall and you hit yourself there hard, you know, there's a good chance you're going to break something. It's just the way it works. Um, but in this case, you know, I'm bringing it up you know, just only to say that that was the reason I didn't get a chance to start taking gels. I should have been taking them just because I was running way slower at a pace. You're still out there for 11 or 12 hours to run 50 miles. Your body needs the fuel. And the earlier you can start getting it in, the better off you're going to be. So by you doing that early, you just made me think about my own fueling strategy because there's no reason on earth. I mean, I used to do it. I'm talking like 10, 15 years ago where I would take a gel like at the starting line, like before the race would start, I'd literally take a gel. I'd have water with me, you know, in a half bottle or a cup. And then I would just dump it right at the start. But that would be like the last thing I would do right before I go. Cause you're getting some carbs in, you're getting some calories in, or 
I've also taken Morton 320 in a bottle, the drink mix, and carried it, you know, like in a hand bottle, you know, drank a certain portion of it, like as I was in the corral and waiting, and then, you know, would would carry it with me. Sometimes it might last me for eight or 10 miles because I would slowly drink it, but you're continuously getting it in. And in your case, you got to five gels versus like three or four. So that's two more. So that's could be 400 more calories, right? Or something like that, um, depending on what's in the goos that you're using. I mean, I, they're usually a few hundred, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure they are. You can do usually right around a hundred. Most of the ones that I take okay. are right around a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a little off, but, uh, you know, I can get fuzzy at times, you know, so, um, but still it's more and more is in this case is better if you're not having any distress issues. So, um, and also who knows for sure, but your last five miles were like crazy fast. Um, you know, maybe taking that last one at the point that you did, maybe that did have some effect on you being able to rip those last five miles. Maybe it was just like, you know, putting all of those close calls behind you and knowing like this was there, like for you to take it. And you just weren't going to leave anything to chance. Like, you don't know. Like, you just don't know. You were feeling good. It's one thing, but, you know, it, it wasn't like you were going from 650 to 646. Here are your last miles from the blog. 628, 639, 630, 610, 624. That's your last five miles. I mean, that's ripping the last five miles. And that's like ripping it. Like, for yeah, real. I don't know how that 610 came about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did you think that was mile 26? Cause that would be classic if you did. Like you thought, Hey, I'm done. It's my last mile. You know? Oh no. no, I don't even think I saw it on my watch during the race. I don't think I saw it until after the race, until after I looked at my split. So I was just, I, I was just trying to, I mean, I, like I said, I knew, I pretty much knew I had it in the bag during that portion, but so then it just became, okay, how much faster can I run it? Cause it, I mean, 259 is cool. I'm like, 258 would be cooler. <laughs> so let's see if we can make that happen. So then it was just, yeah, just getting to the end and seeing how fast I could, how much faster it could be than that, than the 259.59. So, um, and there was a slight downhill slope. I, that was nice. Although my, I mean, I definitely felt it in my quads, but they weren't terrible. I've had, I felt worse on at the end of a marathon on slight downhill. So they weren't terrible, but I was feeling my quads for sure. And, and then there, you know, that there's so many more people cheering too. So that motivates you too. So all those little things just, yeah, I was just like getting to the finish. And I think, I think about my family and, you know, sometimes I remember thinking one time, like, okay, the faster I run, the faster I get to see my boys. So, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, just to kind of motivate and help get, help, you a little bit that that much more you got to use every trick in the toolbox every single one you really do and you know the the end of that course is just it's special i mean you know you can kind of see the capital and you know as you're starting to come you know closer and then the crowds really get a lot deeper they get a lot thicker and people are banging cowbells and making noise and you know there's a lot more signs around and you know uh, you had to be you know, to be cutting that much, you know, you're cutting basically like 30 seconds a mile off what you've been averaging, you know, 25, 30 seconds a mile, which is a lot. Okay. Most people at the end of a race, if they're running, you know, trying to run a negative split race or even, even splits, they feel like they're running 20 or 30 seconds faster on, but they're actually running like maybe two or three seconds or even five, but they feel like they're running that much faster. I know. You had to feel like you were flying. That is like a ridiculously <laughs> huge drop for the last five. Now, 
do you think it helped you that you you had to be reeling people and there's just no way you were not reeling people and you had to be picking people off right yeah yeah i was um and i i've had a lot of people after the race now comment and you know find me on social media and they're like i saw you and you went by me so fast you look so good look so strong so yeah i and I almost like got some tunnel vision. Like I was picking people off, but I was just so laser focused on getting to that finish line. Like I almost didn't really realize how, like I said, I don't think I remember seeing that six ten mile split. Um, and I don't know that I saw the other ones too. Like I said, I mean, I, what I was looking at was um, my total time. So on my watch, I had the totally lapsed time for the whole race. So that's really what I was looking more at. Cause then I was doing math, trying to do math. Okay. Three miles to go, even at a worst case scenario, seven minute pace. Cause really that's all about all I can, the math I can do is seven times three. Okay. 21 minutes. Okay. That yes, I have 21 minutes left. Okay. And so that's really what I was more focused on, not the splits and um, yeah, just trying to do some math and, and then just, okay, I can hurt some more. Let's, let's pick it up. Let's, keep pushing here. I can, I'm not hurting too bad. Like I'm hurting, but I can, I can hurt more. And maybe the cruelest thing about marathoning of all is expecting us to do math is one thing at the end of a marathon, <laughs> especially when we get to the last 5k, but let's just throw the point to and to really fuck us all over. Right. It's hard. We can't, it's hard enough to try to figure out three miles to go. Okay. Like you said, seven, 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 21 minutes, whatever. Okay. Oh, point two. Really? Uh, wait, 35 seconds, 40 seconds, 30 seconds. I don't know. What do I run a 5k when I'm closing hard? What do I run a ticket? I don't know. A minute and 10 seconds. Like now you're going to try to have to add that in on top of it. And then again, like usually when you're running the last 10th of a race or the last two tenths race, it's in a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon. It's not like you're thinking of, okay, what do I usually close the last two tenths of a marathon? in? so that's just another tricky element that you have to like factor in. So it's not pretty, you know, it would be nice. If it was just a nice round number, like 26.0 <laughs> or 20, you know, I go, that's just more confusing, but you know, it's interesting that you weren't even really processing it. You were just going and, um, yeah. that's the best place to be, man. And that's like, you're just like so focused or hyper-focused and, you know, it's actually the best place to be because you're, you're basically just moving, man. You're not, you're not letting anything slow you down. Nothing's going to hang you up. And, you know, the more time you start doing this and looking at this, it's only going to, it's going to mess with our rhythm anyway, man, when you just went and, you know, and you're passing people and anytime we're passing people late in the race, that's always a good feeling. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Because it's way better than the opposite. Like people going yeah. by you, and it's like, wait a minute, where are these people coming from? I don't want anybody passing me. I got, I got business here. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I mean, and I've been that person who's getting past a lot. Start walking during the last few miles. Oh yeah. I mean, we've all been there. We've, we've all been there. So you, you're closing in. Your last five miles are completely bananas. Um, when you make the left-hand turn, right? So you make the left and it's, it's not, there are two lefts, aren't there? Or is it just one left? I always get confused. I think it's like a left and then you kind of go. Yeah, it's two lefts, right? Yeah. It's it's, I, I think it's just one left for the men. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. You're right. It is one left for the men, but the ladies do, they have two, right? Cause then you bank yeah. back and then you have your own finish, which by the way, yeah. I think that is one of the coolest things ever. I think that's super cool. What do you, what do you think about that? The way they have the separate finisher areas? I guess I never really thought about, I mean, I knew, I knew that there was, so I knew to look for the signs or look, but I guess I, um, I definitely, it was really nice 
just being able to celebrate with the other women. And then it's not so congested either. So yeah, it was pretty special. I, um, I'm not really sure why they do that, but it's, yeah, it's nice. It's, it feels a little more, um, um, oh gosh, just special. And then, um, having other, the other women there. So yeah, that, it was, it was nice. Yeah, I think maybe it came about when it's it just really has become the place where people go to try to earn an Olympic trials qualifying standard. It's kind of become known as that race. And I think, you know, because the men and women are shooting for very different time numbers and now the numbers are adjusted again, um, they went down. Um, I think it's maybe just a way to put more visibility on the women going forward and the men going forward specifically and that they're running in groups and that their pace groups at CIM are like legendary, you know, the different groups that are out there, they they're doing such a great job of helping people and not just in sub three, there are many other pace groups out there that are really helping people to get a BQ. It could be four hours or three fifty or some other time. It's much slower, but they might be older, but their time that they need for Boston is slower. And, you know, so, you know, that's, it's just such a cool, such a cool, cool thing. So, you know, you're coming, you know, up the home stretch. And, um, I talked before we came on about, uh, a running friend I have from Central Park Track Club, you know, on Bowie who, um, you know, she had got her first sub three there as well. And you're literally right in front of her in in one of her shots or in your shot or her shot. I can't remember whose shot I saw. And I was just like, this is crazy because I'm going to have her on, I don't know, maybe in a couple of days or like next week. And I know her from when she lived in New York city and then she moved to Boulder and now she's out on the West coast. But, um, so I know you two met up at some point, but then you had a bunch of other people that you had run into, you know, on the social side beforehand and, you know, that you got to meet all them at the finish line and hang out a little bit, right? Like the lift, lift, run, perform group, or were there other people like talk a little about that? Cause that had to be unbelievable. And of course your husband, your boys, I mean, were they at the finish area waiting for you? Were they able to get there? Because I know it can be a little crazy with, with young ones that are small like that, you know, for your husband's side to get them there. Like, what was that all like for you? Yeah. So my husband was there with the boys and then my in-laws were there. And then my um, husband's uncle, my parents were not able to make it to the finish. They tried. It was just, it was too congested with traffic. So they weren't able to make it, which is a bummer. But um, I had a lot of other people to celebrate with. So um, yeah, gave my husband a huge hug and, and cried. <laughs> I'm not much of a crier, but I, I shed some tears just because he knows how much I've had to work, how hard I've had to work to get to this point. So it's been, you know, we, uh, as much as, um, a journey with him and he's been my number one supporter this whole time. So, and he's never, he's never been like, no, you should probably, maybe why don't you give up on this dream? He's never, he's never been anything like that. So, um, and then the other women there, yeah, the lift run perform women, there was eight of them going for a sub three. I had met them the day before and, um, they, I just, I ran into their arms after the, <laughs> when I crossed that finish line. Cause, and there was one girl, one gal in particular who was just like, I could hear them just cheering for me and jumping up and down. And it was, it was so fun. So fun. Cause, and then I knew that they had also gotten their sub three too, since they, obviously they were ahead of me. So yeah, so much celebrating there at the, at the finish line. 
I mean, the positive energy, it's just, I wish we could just bottle like those moments. And I think one of the things CIM does so well is their cameras are up in the finish area. They get video, they get incredible still shots. I mean, it's just incredible, you know, these shots of the women or the men coming across and just, you know, the hugging, the tears, just this, this incredible joy of, you know, a journey being fulfilled, you know, an eight year journey eight years. I mean, that is a long time to chase a dream and kudos to you because a lot of people would have given up somewhere in there. And, you know, even 75 seconds. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, that it's a lot more work. You know, every little chunk you have to take out, you have to do more. You have to get faster. You have to get stronger. You have to be better at hills. You got to be better at fueling. There's just, there's always like another, you know, kind of task ahead of you or list of things that you need to improve at to be able to make this thing, you know, kind of come to life. So for you to get it done, um, it's just, I think it's so much more amazing that you were able to get it done at a bigger race. Um, not that it wouldn't have been awesome if you won a race in Anchorage and got to break the tape and your husband and your kids were there and that would have been amazing. But to be there with all these other women also like trying to hit this huge goal and to kind of celebrate what that means with other people who have this big dream like you did. I mean, don't you think that makes it like way more special? <laughs> it was very special. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the race in August, it was, I was hoping it would happen there because I did have a lot of friends come on cheer for me and my family was there. Um, so I think, yeah, it's hard to know, you know, if it would have been more special one place or the other. I mean, it's hard to know that. But um, I always had a joke that I never broke three hours prior to these. I mean, till now, because my husband, there was many races my husband wasn't there for like I traveled out to New York for New York the New York City Marathon by myself I went to Minnesota a couple of times by myself he wasn't able to come and so I always told him that the reason I haven't broke three hours is because you haven't been there to see me do it so having him there having my family there and my parents were able to to fly out so yeah made it that much more special that's awesome and, you know, we don't, we don't know, like subconsciously, if that may have had a little bit, you know, to, to have been a little bit of a part of it. We just, we just don't know for sure. Um, but whatever the exact reasons are, it's really not that important. Um, the fact is, besides having all the family members there and your boys and all that stuff, you had the other women there who it mattered so much to, to kind of celebrate that with. So that's gotta be, I mean, like for me, when I do something myself, and I'm excited about it. It's one thing. But if I have some teammates or some running friends who understand how important something like that is to me, and I could hug them and like kind of share that goodwill feeling that I'm having with them and just say, thanks for caring about what I did or thanks for supporting me. It just feels so much better. It feels so much more meaningful. Um, so that's just, I don't know, from, from my perspective, the outsider looking in, I just think it's cool that you got to share it not only with your husband and your kids and your family, but with all those other people, you know, that were able to get it, get it done out there at CIM as well. Yeah. So cool. I mean, what a, what a journey, what a journey. And what's it been like for you since, I mean, you know, I know you have your blog. I know you got a lot of people who, you know, follow that closely and pay attention. Like what's it been like? you know, from people who've been following the journey, you know, for you, with you, what's the interaction been like for you to this point? 
Oh, all positive. Such positive. Like I said, I have, I don't think I have any bad followers. There are any mean followers. <laughs> Everyone's been so positive, so uplifting. They're like, you know, they say, I've been following you for years and I'm so happy and glad you finally got it. Um, yeah, lots of direct messages, lots of comments to reply to, but I appreciate every single one of them. And I, I mean, people have said that I've inspired them and I hope that I continue to do that. And, you know, what, whatever your, whatever someone's goal is, whether it's to break five hours, four hours in the marathon, whether it's a BQ, like it's just, hopefully you love the process. I mean, if you don't love the process, then it's, and it's a different story, but hopefully just going after that goal, even if you never achieve it, just to go after it for something big and try and give it your all. I think that it it's fun. It's, it gives a purpose to your life, to your running and, you know, other, and then even someone else, someone, maybe I inspire somebody else, but then they inspire somebody else. And, you know, it's just a domino effect and we can all, no matter if whatever running goals are that we can inspire other people and share that with our friends and family as well. Absolutely. I mean, running is the true, it's a true community sport. There are very few things um, that have more impact within the community, the races that we run, you know, to support the community, the volunteers, the people who invest their time, the money that comes into the economy, you know, at a major race, at a large race like CIM, there's all of those like external things and internal things. But really, um, as you said so, so beautifully, um, you know, somebody out there starts following you, starts following another group, another um, bunch of women who are chasing a dream, older masters runners like me. There's some category out there for everybody that's looking to be inspired or motivated. And we all can make a difference. We all can have an impact on somebody else other than ourselves. So yes, what we're trying to accomplish as part of our own journey to fulfill you know, our passion, um, really it's about hard work and work ethic and just continuing to grind, continuing to battle and not giving up on your dream. If that's your dream, don't let anybody take it away from you. You know, keep chasing it, keep going after it. Um, and as long as, you know, your situation at home is good and, you know, your family's supportive and obviously they really are, that's wonderful. And, you know, your boys are so young, but in a couple of years, man, they're going to be out there running with you. And they're going to be like, I want to, I want to run around with mom. <laughs> Let me see if I could beat mom in a race. And, you know, hopefully they'll get involved in the adventures and, uh, you know, they'll be like, uh, you know, trying to follow in your footsteps. Yeah. I mean, I, if they want to run, I would love that. But at the same time, if they choose another sport or another activity, fine arts, I, you know, I want them to be active and take care of the, you know, physically take care of the body and whatever that method is, whether it's a competitive sport or not. So that's always been my philosophy that, you know, cool if they want to run with me, but it's okay if they don't as well. I just, there's other things that, you know, whatever their passions are that I um, want to support them and think that they're, can, they can excel in other areas as well. Well, yeah, they got to find their, they got to find their path. You know, every, every good mom and dad knows that. 
Um, we all want them to do the activities and sports we do. It's it's natural. There isn't a there isn't a dad or a mom out there that doesn't wish their daughter or son is gonna you know take the interest in the things that we take an interest in. But yeah, you never force it. It has to come natural. And if it if it goes that way, it's wonderful. And if it doesn't, that's also wonderful. Whatever whatever path or journey they're gonna find, you'll be there supporting them. And so we your husband, and it'll be fun. But you can always dream. Um, that they'll be tagging along and, and joining your runs with you and all that other stuff because it's fun. I mean, that's some of the best times I ever have with my son. And, you know, he's graduated college and he's living in Vermont. And, you know, after the pandemic, we just don't see as much of him these days. My whole family doesn't. Um, and it's just, that's one of the big adjustments in life. But whenever we can spend some time running, it's uh, it's magical. And I don't care if it's five miles, three miles, 10 miles, you know, there's no better time spent, you know, with your son or daughter, you know, to be able to get out there and put your shoes on and go, go run some miles together, man, because all the troubles in the world melt away when you're out there and you're doing your thing. So super cool. Um, anything, you know, I mean, this was it. I mean, this was an eight year journey. You like, what's, have you thought at all? It's too soon. Obviously you're still kind of enjoying this and you need to enjoy it and you need to savor like every moment of it because you worked so hard to get there. But have you even put any thought yet into like what is going to be next? Like what the next big goal is going to be, or are you just going to like take your time and be patient with that? Cause there's no rush. I've definitely had a few thoughts as to what's next. I'm not entirely sure which direction I'll go. I've um, I really like the half marathon. I feel like that's a little more of my strong suit that distance, the 10 K half marathon. So to try to better my time in that, um, I don't know if you got to the end of my blog post, I kind of break down how much I, if you basically, if you would use a 26.2 course, exactly, you know, if I hadn't run the extra quarter mile, how close I was to being 255 marathoner. So to break that next five minute barrier and the 255, you know, that's definitely, I feel like that's possible and something I could go after. Um, yeah, right now I'm just taking some downtime because I've been pretty much for the past two years solid. I've been training really at a pretty high level and pretty high intensity. So going to take in December and enjoy it. And then, you know, we're going to um, Minnesota for Christmas with my family there. So we'll spend some time with them. And then after the new year, we'll just kind of see what the, what the year brings. Um, I, yeah, it'd be fun to go back to CIM. I, I, what other, just some of the other, um, I've done Boston and New York, so I would, but I liked, I really like New York. I could see going back there if I could ever get in. So yeah, we'll just have to see. I know, oh, and Indianapolis is a fast course. So I know I've thought about that one too. Indy's very fast. New York, I can definitely make a call or two and, uh, that will not be a problem getting, not only getting (laughs) you in, but, uh, I'm pretty sure I could get you into the elite field of New York. So, um, which would be crazy cool. Um, but very different again, because you are literally running alone. And then when I say alone, like it is alone, you're starting, um, cause I have quite a few of my female friends that I get to train with and I'm blessed to train with who, who get that privilege. And, you know, you'll see them on the course. It looks like they're running in their own race. I mean, they're literally out there and, you know, they're running crazy fast times. I mean, they're not going to win the race, 
Um, you know, a lot of them are running, you know, high two thirties, low two forties, maybe even two fifty, two fifty five, like your range. So, you know, I think I could definitely help you with that if you wanted to take a swing at New York again. Um, but there's, I mean, Chicago, you can get in the American development group. You can get like a sub elite start. You'll get a special bib. You'll be able to put your bottles out on the course. It's a fast course. And there's a lot uh, yeah, of- Chicago, the, the, the weather, and especially training here in Alaska, I just don't feel like it ever acclimatize, like cl- become adapted to warmer temperatures because our summers are so cool. Mm-hmm. So I've thought, I've definitely thought about Chicago, but like this year and so many other years, it's just hot and humid. And I, don't know if I could ever, I would have no way to even train to adapt to that Yeah, here in well, Alaska. No, that's, that's a very good point. And it is a big piece of, you know, preparing yourself to run your best. Well, you said you have family in uh, Minnesota. You could always do grandma's. Grandma's is a good choice. Yep. I've done grandma's. Yep. Well, keep us posted. I mean, definitely if you're considering New York, I mean, I definitely let me know cause I can help for sure. I've got uh, quite a few connections there and I'm, I'm sure I could help. And you know, excited to keep following along, man. You're you're killing it, and it's awesome. And um, one last thing, you know, your training, you know, other than you know your fueling, you know, kind of getting more gels in, you know, I think you also did some more strength training. I know you've been doing strength training for a while, but was that also like a change that you would say? Because I really like people to know like the little tweaks and the little changes, because sometimes that can be the one thing that can make the difference between somebody getting really close to a goal and actually making it happen. I did hire a strength coach these last three, three and a half months. And I think it made a huge difference. I really, I really felt like there was a jump in my fitness from August to be to the beginning of December. Now, whereas I saw a slow, you know, a gradual progression of fitness, the, from January to August, but I feel like there was more of a jump from August to December because of my the strength coach and this type of strength training she had me do. Like I've always kind of done two to three sets of eight, 10 to 12 reps, pretty standard, you know, lifting pretty heavy. So those last couple of reps are hard, but she, we did a lot of eccentric work. So really slow on the way down and it is really hard. I, my legs were shaking by the end of those workouts. I, and she, and we, she basically would have me max out in one rep. I mean, uh, sorry, in one set. So we, and we would do, I mean, more higher reps, but slower, slower through each, um, lift and sometimes just body weight. And it was crazy how hard some of these things were, but she got me really strong. I've, yeah, even in my upper body, I've never been this strong. And then, like I said, my, I felt the, felt it in my quads on the downhill at CAM, but I know that if I hadn't done the strength training with her, I would have been even in more pain. So yes, I did strength training in a different way this time. And then I, I, this is, I will say, this is the first time I wore a carbon plated shoe. Um, I hadn't worn, uh, a carbon plated shoe up until this marathon because really the lot, cause prior to my marathon in August, the last marathon I did was New York city, Mar- um, in 2018. And I feel like there was kind of just when the Nike Vaporfly was just kind of coming out. So it was like out, but not, not everybody had it like everyone does now. Um, and so 
in August, I wore a, another shoe. I love the shoe, but um, I got a par- pair of carbon plated shoes for this race. So that is something I did different as well. I, I don't know, you know, if they helped, I, I, the marathon's still hard. It's still a long ways to run that fast. So it's hard to say whether or not it made that much of a difference in my time. I think the strength training probably played the biggest role. Um, but it, it certainly can't, it can't hurt. And pretty much everybody who's competing for any major race or trying to win a race or win their age group or win a podium, you know, virtually every single one of your competitors is going to be wearing carbon plated shoes. So if you're not, it's almost like you're not giving yourself the best chance, um, to be the best version of yourself. So, um, I would say the strength training probably had the biggest impact just listening to it. I'm so glad because I thought I read that in your blog or maybe I saw it in one of your posts, but I'm really glad I got that question in because it's a, it's a big element. Um, and I don't care if you don't think it's important. It's a huge element because our form, our form will break down when our strength isn't there, when our strength goes away, when we're not strong enough late in a race. And if a course, you know, beats our body up in a certain way, you know, that's when our form tends to break down even more. And as it breaks down more, you know, that's when the seconds per mile can slip away. They can easily become five seconds or 10 seconds or more. And then having those strength training sessions, going to failure, having your muscles like be going like banjos and rubber bands, like that's what you do it for. That's what the purpose of it is for. So that when you need it most, you know, you'll be able to keep going. And, you know, based on your last five miles, I'm going to say, it definitely had a positive impact. So good stuff. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Well, it's been a blast having you back on and thanks so much for, uh, for sharing all of the super cool elements of your race, your buildup, you know, the actual race itself, your strategy, the whole bit. And, um, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming back on and sharing, man. I know it's going to inspire lots of people. Um, and the way we close out every episode, we tell everybody keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Super inspiring stuff by Michelle. She just never let go of that dream. And she continued to find new ways to add elements to her training to make her stronger. The strength training was a very last minute addition to the cycle, increasing her mileage playing with her nutrition, tweaking her nutrition. Um, And I just think um, she's such a student of the sport, Michelle, not only with her own running, but also coaching runners as well. She's always out there trying to continuously improve and evolve her running. And I think that makes her such an interesting follow and uh, excited to just see where she can take it from here. So great stuff. Thanks so much for coming back on, Michelle, and sharing your inspiring story and journey. Eight years, amazing uh, to see it come to fruition and for you to get to share it with the Run Chats audience is uh, exciting. So uh, as always, if you're inspired and moved by Michelle's words, you really enjoy the episode, please share it, Instagram, Facebook, Anywhere, Strava, I've seen people sharing podcast episodes on Strava, wherever you share, wherever you um, put that information out there to the universe, it comes back and helps us grow. And positive things always happen from that. So I appreciate every one of you who takes the time to uh, go on Apple Podcasts, writes a review. It really helps us grow, helps us get new people tuned in to the Run Chats pod. 
And it also helps me get uh, awesome guests like Michelle to come on the show. So it's continually helping us build out uh, our positive platform over here. And I uh, just want to keep uh, trending up and keep growing what we're doing here. So thank you all so much. In the spirit of the holiday season, man, I wish you all the best with your families. I hope you all have some t- uh, downtime where you get to spend it um, with family. And if not, uh, my thoughts are with any of those people out there that don't have anyone to spend it with. I send you hugs, send you love. And uh, as I say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. God bless. God bless.